Well, thanks so much, everybody, for uh, coming along and uh, coming out to, I don't know, this is the 10th or 11th one of our uh, Free Domain Radio uh, instant uh, chats. Uh, we don't do call-ins because, A, that's technologically difficult, and B, it's much more fun when we can all talk at once. And so uh, thanks so much for joining us. This is June the 18th, just after 4 p.m., and um, let's, um, <laughs> let's have a chat that uh, Francois has been threatening, sorry, has offering, have been offering to have with us for a while. We couldn't get to it last week because I was on vacation. And uh, so, uh, Francois, if you would like to start off and help me to understand uh, the, the topic that he suggested is why Stéphane is wrong about morality, which of course is a, a very kind topic to bring up, because the last thing I'd want to do is to be wrong about, the, um, uh, about morality. So, uh, Francois, I have had a look at your definitions, uh, which I don't have any uh, particular uh, problems with. Uh, so, if you'd like to, uh, to tell me uh, wherein I have become uh, completely uh, incorrect in my formulations, or somewhat, that would uh, be fantastic. It's, uh, it's all yours. Well, I'm glad that you agree with my definition, Stefan. I think the main issue revolves around the notion of values being judged. And uh, the fact that you've stated before that you thought that values were subjective and could not be judged, measured, uh, evaluated, etc. And uh, But in the last show, you kind of went back on that. Well, now I'm not sure exactly what your official position is at the moment. Okay. Um, would you like me to, to give you two seconds on my official position, and then you can tell me if it, uh, if it fits with what you're working with? All right. Uh, three uh, seconds. Sure, How do you seem skeptical that I can do it in two seconds? My position uh, on values is that there are uh, two types of values. The first is uh, values which are objective, and those values are things like uh, truth, uh, integrity, uh, honesty, things which can be verified. And the other uh, sort of values are the values which are, are subjective, which is, I like this band or that color or this TV show or something like that. And so there are, there are both kinds of values and one, one can be thought to be objective and scientific, and I think is, is reasonably so. And the other is more opinion-based and pretty relevant to a lot of our life, right? What you choose as your profession is a subjective value, which is you know, pretty important to your life as a whole. And you, the ethics that you choose that are based on the argument for morality and therefore should be universal, uh, should be rational and objective, and uh, so there's sort of two different criteria there. One is more based on introspection, and one is, uh, um, one is more based on rational, uh, rational argument and analysis. Uh, so that's my sort of view on, uh, on values. And so uh, do let me know what, uh, what's, well, what you think about that. Well, see, this is exactly why I don't like the words objective and subjective, because of that kind of um, discussion because you get into pretty absurd uh, avenues. And, and I think we should really eschew those terms. Because you do agree with me that, uh, for example, uh, your choice of job or your choice of ice cream or your choice of whatever is based on your personality and is based on prior conditions apparent to you as an individual, on your education and your experiences 
genetics, etc., etc. And so they're not really uh, objective, uh, subjective per se. Uh, they they're based on causality, correct? Yes, I do think that they would be based on causality to some degree, for sure. So it's not, it's not really a question of objective versus subjective. Well, I would say that you're talking about is more the instantiation of a value. Say, of course, we all need to eat things uh, in one region versus another region, and we'll have different recipes and uh, sorts of food available and so on. And so it's more of a question of how we instantiate uh, human values, which can be very different, but it still depends on uh, the personality of the individual and his past experiences and uh, the possibilities that are uh, open to him in all this sort of uh, factors. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Okay, well, I don't think we disagree then on that point. Now, one of the things that I do find useful about the objective versus subjective terminology is that most people, and I'm sorry if you can just translate it in, that in your own head, that the problem is that most people don't really have any clue that there is a difference between what they believe and what is true, right? So people just get a whole bunch of propaganda stuffed into their heads by, by state schools and private schools and and churches and, and families and all this kind of stuff and, and, and the nation, they get all this stuff stuffed into their head and then they just start talking about stuff like it's true, but they don't have any particular idea that it's simply just an opinion that they have. So when somebody starts saying to me, you know, the, po the poor have to be helped by the government, then they're just saying something that they believe just to be true. They have no idea that it's a subjective opinion rather than a, an objectively proven fact. So the first thing that I will sometimes start doing is to say to them, well, so that's a statement. Is it, is it something that's your opinion, like uh, I like uh, cinnamon bread, or is it something that is actually true, like the world is round or 2 plus 2 equals 4, and it, it generally startles people. You know, they say, well, n you know, the government should prevent people from owning automatic machine guns or something like that. I say, well, okay, is, is that your opinion, like you're telling me you liked a certain movie, or is it an objective fact that is provable, and people just get kind of freaked out by that, because it's not something that they've ever really uh, considered, that, that there's a difference between the two. So I do find it useful uh, for dealing with, I guess, novices in, in the realm of philosophy, or people who don't know that they're novices, if that makes any sense. I, I don't even know. Go ahead. I'd like maybe to correct that statement. What people think they know, they think they know to be true, right? You can't hold them to an opinion and think that it would be false at the same time. And so, yeah. I'm sorry, could you just go into that a little bit more? You have to point out to them, uh, you have to ask them maybe why they believe that. What's the foundation for their beliefs? And um, also, yeah, there's also the difference between opinion and um, aesthetic preference, right? So liking uh, chocolate is an aesthetic preference, um, saying that <coughs> people should not uh, own guns. Uh, well, that could be both ways, yeah. 
Yes, I, I certainly see what you mean. But most people, of course, when they're in the realm of ethics, uh, don't know that they should be dealing with something that is scientific and objective. Uh, nobody would say the earth is banana-shaped and I just believe it because I believe it because they believe or they have an understanding based on the general propagation of the scientific method that just stating something that is referenceable that, that is referenceable to external reality is, is, uh, it has to be backed up by some kinds of facts but in the realm of ethics and politics and so on we've been so conditioned to believe that everything is just based on opinion um, that they just they don't have any idea that statements about politics or God or ethics and these sorts of things, they don't have any idea that these things are as subjectable, in fact, more subjectable to the scientific method and to rational analysis than, um, than the general statements about science, which are much less dangerous and much less relevant to human life than things like politics and ethics. Uh, so I think you're right. Asking them how they know is important. Getting them to understand that there's a difference between an opinion and a fact is important. So I think, in, like, you don't, you don't have these debates in the scientific community, right? You don't have a whole bunch of people going to scientific conferences saying, I think that we should give up on the scientific method and start praying for knowledge again. You don't have that kind of stuff occurring. <laughs> but uh, in, in the realm of ethics, we're, we're very primitive. Like, we're, as a species in the realm of ethics, we're extraordinarily primitive. Like, we're pro like the Middle Ages at least had the, the prior experience of the Greek and Roman civilizations and to some degree the Chinese civilizations and, and the example of Socrates. As far as ethics go, I would say that as a culture we're, we're pre-Socratic at the moment. It's, it's extraordinarily primitive uh, because we've even lost what the heck was going on in the Enlightenment, which was close to truth in my opinion, but not getting there in, in the final sense. So I think that we have this real difficulty in getting people to understand that there's a difference between opinion and fact. Once we've won this battle, so to speak, I don't think we'll have to deal with these subjective and subjective terms because they just won't come up any more than alchemy or mysticism comes up at scientific conferences. But, but right now, I think it's such a primitive situation that we do need to just constantly reinforce in the Socratic method that there's a difference between the two uh, so that people can begin to condition their own thinking a little bit more with, with rationality and external facts. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, that's, uh, that's quite true. Uh, one other thing I would like to add to this would be that uh, we should maybe ask people, uh, do you like that, uh, would you like it that people would not um, carry guns or do you think that people should not carry guns because there's a difference between the two statements? So right, right. Do you no. like, uh, yeah. No, I think that's quite right, and I remember, uh, as I've, I think I've mentioned in a podcast once or twice, when I was uh, having uh, lunch with a, uh, one of our salespeople from New York, he was a, uh, a liberal uh, in New York, I know it's shocking, but uh, he was a liberal, and of course he was very much against uh, guns, and so he said, well, guns are bad, and we shouldn't have guns, and this and that and the other, and I said, well, I think that, that's great, so we need to disarm people who have guns, right? And of course he was like, yes, and so I said, well, then, of course we need to make sure that the, uh, um, uh, that the police and the military don't have guns. And it's so funny when you come up with something like that, which is just basic, it's a basic st statement of facts. You're saying it's a principle that guns are bad and no one should be allowed to own them. Well, then no one should be allowed to own them, right? But then you run into the paradox of who is it who enforces people uh, and, and a gun ownership, who, who makes sure that people don't have guns. And of course, the, uh, the people who do that do have to have guns, so then guns are both good and bad at the same time and, and all this kind of stuff. So 
uh, people just don't really they just they just mouth platitudes it's stuff that they've been stuck with and uh, they they really have never thought about it they're just they're not thinking you know I was I've been reading um, uh, a book by Charles Murray called um, Losing Ground and I sort of podcasted it on a little bit this weekend and what uh, he talks about is the incredible uh, disasters that have gone on in public education that's sort of one of the aspects that he talks about public education is just a complete wretched mess and so a lot of the people that we're talking to I, I sort of don't know how to put it in a nice way a lot of the people that we're sort of debating with and, and it's not because they're uh, not intelligent it's just that they're they're crippled right but they're kind of half retarded right I mean they, they don't know how to think and they don't know that they can't think so uh, that's why I sort of try and keep things gentle and 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 sort of light and a little bit funny because you know, they, they, they're crippled, but they don't know it. You know, they're, they're the Special Olympics thinking that they're the highest athletes in the world. And so you have to be, I think, a little bit gentle. It's not their fault that they've been so badly educated. I think there's better information out there. And we may be the first people who are ever talking to them about something more rational. But they are, like, not, uh, not very mentally healthy children a lot of times. And I don't mean that with any disrespect, because it's not their fault. But I think that it's kind of important to be to be gentle a little bit like you know it's like trying to get a, a wild squirrel to feed out of your hand um, or, or your wife to obey you it's it's not easy uh, and so you do have to be uh, gentle and work a lot with with the uh, issue of motivation and so on but I sorry that I go, go ahead to answer your original question about statements of political opinion I don't necessarily think that they're even opinions I think they're mostly indoctrinated beliefs. I think that people are very aberrated by the fact that they're living in status. And they strongly believe that the state is a permanent fixture and, and, and that therefore they have to, you know, that's the environment that they've been raised in. That's the only environment they comprehend. So they believe that they have to fight for their values against everyone else. Because uh, that's democratic system. That's the social warfare and democratic system. So what I think is, people who would be free would probably not choose those same positions. So I don't think they're even uh, uh, opinions per se. I think they're just uh, beliefs, indoctrinated beliefs. It's like your example of a monkey in a cage. You know, and you're always feeding it either a little monkey pellets or fruit and you ask it, you know, what what kind of food do you prefer and it says, you know, the fruit, whatever. Well, I guess apes can't talk. And uh, and so you say, well, aha, that's the monkey's opinion, but uh, all he's been fed all his life is just the pellets and the fruits. You see where I'm going with this? Right, no, I see what you mean, I see what you mean. I, I think that's quite right. Uh, it might not be even, it might be an insult to opinions to call them opinions. It's, it's knee-jerk indoctrination, and of course it is. Uh, it's annoying to come across once you spend a good deal of time trying to get your own thoughts refined. It's annoying to come across. But I do try and fight my irritation, at least, when it, when it shows up with a kind of sympathy. Like, you're, you're dealing with a lot of times, you know, again, this sounds a little bit extreme, but I do sort of believe it. you're dealing with wounded animals. And I think it's important that we understand that because they they have, as Francois pointed out, they have less than opinions, but they think that they're absolute facts. And not only do they think they're absolute facts, but they think that they're absolute facts associated with 
morality with right and wrong, with good and evil. And when you have propaganda that is believed to be absolute, where anybody who ever disagrees with you is evil, then you are dealing with a pretty explosive situation when you're talking about freedom with people. And the, the reason that it's also so explosive is that deep down, of course, they know that it's a complete lie. You can change... Uh, Murray Rothbard talked about this when he was talking about Soviet Russia. You can change people's ideological beliefs. You can swell their false self to a big bursting bag of blood with propaganda, but you can't change reality, and you can't change people's fundamental natures. So you can feed somebody uh, junk food and tell them it's a salad, but you can't actually make them healthy uh, if you do that. And I think that's, uh, that's pretty important to understand as well. Uh, so, uh, Sephathus, was that you uh, playing me back to myself, or uh, were you about to say something? I don't think so. Now, uh, Adi, you've typed into Skype, uh, all we think we know is opinion. Could you tell me a little bit more about uh, what you mean by that? Tautological. We don't know fractions are pure form. We only uh, have opinions. But, but that's uh, uh, terminology somewhat different from yours. So what would you call um, this what we think we know? What would you call it? Would you call it opinion or something else? Uh, yeah, sorry. First, let me just clarify a term for those who are new to the debate. When Adi says uh, a, a definition that differs from mine, what he actually means technically is incorrect. Uh, so that's just something which people new to the debate should should be fairly clear. Oh, oh dear, Christina's giving me that look, <laughs> which is usually when I say something different from her opinion, which is in fact incorrect. But um, I think, Adi, if I understand it correctly, you're saying that, um, and this is a little bit based on on the um, the Kantian view of things that, or the Platonic view, we don't actually get to perceive things in and of themselves. We can only perceive them as sensual evidence recreated within our own mind. So even when I touch a table, it's not like my brain is directly perceiving that table. What is actually happening is all the sensory evidence is being recreated within my mind, and so there's not a direct perception of physical reality. It's all inferred through sensual evidence and the activity that leads into the brain. Does that is is that what you mean? No, I think reality is perfect. Well, it's possible. Sure, what we know must come from reality. And uh, if we are to change our minds, we have to appeal to reality, either to the laws of logic or to, to the senses themselves. So we do perceive reality. That's not a problem. But uh, we perceive reality uh, only through the senses, only through the physical body that we have. We don't perceive this pure version of reality, this, this platonic thing, right? And can you tell me what, uh, so I think, I think we agree on the definition, can you tell me what it would mean or look like to have a direct perception of reality? It would mean maybe acquiring knowledge without uh, having to perceive uh, external stimuli. Which would be uh, a would that be sort of a, it, what comes to my mind is that, that that would be a sort of thing like like God, right? That that the God uh, perceives reality without the uh, this is the idea behind a consciousness without material form. That God experiences reality or truth or knowledge without any sensual perception. Is that I'm not saying that that proves anything about God, but is that sort of what you mean? Yeah, I, and I also mean uh, stimuli, uh, also in the sense of introspection. Uh, you also can't look within yourself because if you are a consequence of 
the environment, you, you have to discount that as well. So that's the idea. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by introspection and in your definition there? It's uh, making, for instance, uh, thought experiments, right? Even though they are in your mind, they are not separated from reality because you yourself are part of a reality. That didn't clear up too much for me. Could you try a little, uh, little more? Um, I don't think the words are going to be coming to me. No problem. So, uh, I'm simply saying, yeah, I, I'm saying uh, looking within ourselves. Uh, for instance, shutting down the external senses and simply thinking. So a form of revelation then, or? Well, Stefan asked me to imagine how would the perfect ideas be formed, and I said that uh, you can't appeal to the senses, and neither can you actually appeal to anything that is a consequence of reality. You have to take it as is somewhat, somehow. So this is what makes it uh, absurd. But, uh, and I, I understand what you're, what you're saying. In the language that you're using, though, uh, and this is not your language, but I just wanted to get your opinion of it. Uh, to me, when you come up, or when somebody comes up with a concept that is anti-logical or anti-biological, calling it perfect is sort of like saying 2 plus 2 is green is perfect, and 2 plus 2 is 4 is sort of uh, a, a degraded, sensual version of perfect. But when people talk about, and I'm not saying you, you agree with this, but when people talk about perfect ideas being those which are not related to sensual evidence, not related to empirical verification, not, repeated, not uh, related to uh, sensual logic, then to me what they're saying is uh, it's sort of like 2 plus 2 is green or it's a square circle. It's not perfect. It's actually just deranged. Uh, and so I think that, and this comes from Plato, right, that we, we believe, or lots of thinkers other than Plato, that we believe there's some kind of perfect world out there that doesn't have anything to do with the senses, but uh, if, we could, if we could achieve that, that would be perfect, but what comes through the senses is degraded. And it has a kind of religious connotation to it, but uh, I don't think that it's a higher or perfect reality. I think it's just, uh, just incorrect, if that sort of makes any sense. Yeah, there's also this um, perfection that does last from the ancient, ancient Greeks. Uh, the idea, for instance, that the circle would be the perfect form, but uh, perfect in this language actually means nothing. It doesn't exist. Yeah, that makes sense. Just for those who know, right, the mathematical uh, definition of a circle is something which you can never actually exist, it never actually exists within reality. So, but, but what I think it says is that concepts are perfect and sensual, like the sensual evidence or material form of those concepts is imperfect. But that to me seems kind of re reversing the course, as I've talked about in some sequence of series uh, of podcasts on concepts. The reason I think that that's problematic is that we actually don't have any sense of concepts except that which is derived from the senses, right? So, so everything that we see that's circular, everything we see that's flat, everything we see that's linear in the real world is what uh, provides us with the concepts that we sort of extrapolate the essence of those things into uh, the concepts. And so to say that then concepts are somehow degraded by uh, their manifestation in material form to me is totally backwards because we don't have concepts except for their, uh, ex I their existence in material form, which we can then synthesize. So I've, just, I've never really liked this, I mean, not that it matters what I like or anything, but I've never really liked this idea that concepts are somehow contaminated or uh, by material form or somehow uh, purer or, or cleaner and so on than, than the material form. 
Uh, I don't think that really makes too much sense. And it's the root of a lot of things, like the nation is considered to be more pure than any individual that's within it. And of course, God is considered to be more pure than anything material. And this is, uh, in a lot of different philosophies, this also occurs in race, that the concept is considered to be more pure or elevated than the, uh, the individual. And I've never found that to be valid because we wouldn't have concepts without the individual. So concepts can never be superior to the individual. I think that's the aspect you have to have more out, uh, that there is only an individual that acts, that thinks, that feels. And this is a pretty novel uh, concept for a lot of people. For instance, uh, myself and uh, Stefan and, and Francois and uh, others have been going to this uh, site, assembly, assembly.com, if you want to know about it. And it's about uh, people expressing their opinions, and it's a good source of uh, what is popular in public opinion and what is popular in knowledge because it's sometimes difficult to keep up with the popular media and the popular opinions for people in our movement. I can speak for myself specifically that um, it's, it's starting to surprise me somewhat. This um, level maybe of ignorance uh, do you mean level of ignorance around sort of philosophical concepts or freedom or politics or religion or what? Yeah, all that, especially uh, the idea that only the individual is uh, an, active, uh, an active entity. And a lot of people believe in collectives and group thinking and the, in the uh, unconscious, collective unconscious and things like that. And somehow the individual is an imperfect form of this collective, like, like you say, it's very good. Well, one of our uh, fine <coughs> new listeners, uh, Stacy Curl, has said here, and I hope you don't mind if I, uh, I read this uh, from the uh, Skype chat, I wonder if there's some correlation between someone experiencing frustration with being unable to change reality, perhaps because of some power, and then deciding to give up on reality and start focusing on the model instead. Yes, I think this is often what's called in philosophical circles the kryptonite principle. Yes, it's the kryptonite principle. And I think, I think what happens is that when you're a kid and you're growing up, you're sort of taught something like, do as I say, not as I do. So in that a moral rule, like don't shout, don't hit, will get inflicted upon a child by a shouting and hitting parent. Right? So, so already right there you have a, a differentiation for the child between what is said and what is done. And then you hear things like, you have to respect your mother. Listen to your father. Your father knows best. And when you ask for reasons as to why your parents say X, Y, or Z, then what you're told is, don't ask questions. Just, just have respect for whoever, your father or your mother or your school or your country or your race or whatever. And so then what happens is you have the child then believes that, that the material form doesn't have much to do with the virtuous essence, right? So you've got some drunken bum of a father, say, and the mother says, well, you, have to, you should listen to your father. And so the child then believes that the ideas or the concepts don't have anything to do with the material manifestation, but that the concepts are always superior to the uh, physical manifestation. And I think it is a kind of scar tissue. I think that you're quite right in saying that. It is a pain that comes out of 
uh, something that has uh, been inflicted on the child, a, a form of moral hypocrisy, because it's a lot easier to, to talk virtue than to be virtuous. And I think that the kid then gets, it's very painful for the child. But what they have to do is believe in the virtue that is being spoken about rather than any material form that, that it's the manifesting itself as. And I think that's one of the things that leads people into this arid, abstract world of perfect ideals rather than dealing with basic facts. Because if we work empirically, which is sort of what I am uh, talking about in a lot of the podcasts, just work empirically rather than by what people say, then if your parents aren't good to you, or moral, or, or if they don't express doubt when they don't know what is going on, or if they give you moral rules, but then when you start to question them, they, they realize that maybe they don't know as much as they should, and they honestly explore you, those rules with you together, and so on. If they don't do any of that, then you're going to end up with a rule uh, derived from how, how they act, which is something like, my parents are just telling me what to do so that I'll obey, but they're claiming that it's moral so that I'll obey permanently. And that's not a, a conclusion that children really want to come to about their parents. So they start focusing on these perfect abstracts and ignore the, the tangible manifestations, I think, based on, on that relationship. Does that uh, make any sense? Or did anyone hear that at all? Uh, hello? Can anybody hear me? Well, uh, hello? Can anybody hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, we can. Sorry. Are you all just calling your parents? arguing in the text chat over there. Do you want me to synthesize that? I've been having a look at it as I've been talking. Do you want me to synthesize that? I just uh, to make sure there aren't too many S's in it. I seem to have trouble with sibilance today. <laughs> Go for it, Seth. Okay, sure, so the question is, and I, I apologize if I'm not getting this quite right. It's been flashing by relatively quickly. The question is, um, is, is Francois a tree or a forest? I think that's, that's right, isn't it? And uh, what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, the question is, um, uh, when I said the, the nation uh, as a concept, and then the question came out, and I, it's a perfectly reasonable question. I said the nation doesn't exist, and somebody uh, said in the chat, which is perfectly reasonable if you haven't been exposed to these ideas, they said, well, the, um, uh, by golly, the nation does exist. Uh, what, are you, uh, what are you crazy? Uh, of course it exists. The United, you said the United States. People don't think that you're talking about a canal on Mars. They know exactly what it is that you're talking about. And um, so the question then uh, comes about, does a nation exist uh, or does a nation not exist? And of course, it's the forest and the trees argument, right? The forest being a conceptual aggregate for groups of individual trees. Does forest as a concept exist? Now, of course, if you define forest as a conceptual label that applies to a group of individual trees, if somebody says to you that a forest doesn't exist, what they're receiving by that sort of logically is you're saying you're looking at 500 trees and someone says that forest doesn't exist and you say well it does exist I'm looking right over there and there are 500 trees so what are you saying to me that a forest doesn't exist so when someone says that uh, the United States doesn't exist people are saying well when I go south of the border I don't fall into a void you know I sort of uh, go into another dimension so the United States absolutely does exist but the way that we try and talk about these things here, not for just reasons of semantic uh, stuff, but for uh, pretty important reasons of ethics and clarity, what we try and talk about in this conversation is that the concepts do not exist independently of the, of the, uh, of the instances or the entities, right? So the concept forest 
does not exist in the real world, right? Like you, you can point at something called a family, which is four people sitting in a photograph or something, but you can't point at a family if there's not four people sitting in the room. You can't point at something called a forest if there aren't 500 trees sitting in front of you. And so the concept has no material existence. It's just a mental tag, right? Like there are two rocks that exist, but the number two doesn't exist somewhere that you can go and dig it up with a shovel and say, hey, look, it's the number two. And this is fairly important when it comes to ethics, of course, because since concepts don't exist, then the collective can never have any rational domination over the individual because, of course, there is no such thing as collective. So when you hear something like, well, it's for the good of the public, it's for the general good, it's for the good of mankind, well, the general public, mankind, uh, all of these things, they don't exist. What does exist is individuals, and we have conceptual tags of language and, and all that to, to describe those things, but those descriptions don't exist in reality. So you can never have, if you're talking about a forest, you can never have any definition of a forest that contradicts any one of the individual trees. So you can't say a forest is 500 trees and a pink elephant, right? So because the concept forest is derived from how accurately it describes an aggregation of trees. You can't say a forest is one tree. You can't say a forest is a fan and a table and a door, right? It all has to be a group of trees, can't maybe be one, maybe, maybe five trees is a copse or something. Uh, so the concepts are always imperfectly derived from the instances and that means that anything that you talk about in terms of a collective can't ever contradict the moral nature of any single individual you can't create a group called a nation or a religion or a race or a gender you can't create those groups and then ascribe to those groups any moral characteristics that contradict the moral nature of any individual human being and so that's sorry I get I always get juiced at that last part because that's really why it's so important because that's all you have to hear about in politics and in philosophy is that the rights of the group versus the rights of the individual well the group doesn't exist you can't have any rights ascribed to any human being or group of human beings that contradicts the moral rights of any other human being because then the concept is detached from the individual from the instance and then now it no longer has any meaning does that at least clarify this question of nation state that's that's uh, on the um, uh, on the chat well in my opinion it's very simple uh, I can point to a forest and have a common understanding based on the density of trees in a given area compared to another and, and point at it and say look there's a forest here because there's a higher density of tree area and there's a certain kind. So this is all based on empirical facts. Now if you tell me there's a nation, the nation is based on an arbitrary border, which is basically delimitating one monopoly of force from another, one group of thugs from another group of thugs. So they, um, they have this agreement, right? It's just an agreement based on completely arbitrary limits. So if you, I show you a satellite picture of Earth, uh, you couldn't show me this border. You couldn't uh, point it out to me because it doesn't exist. It's an arbitrary agreement. It has nothing to do with reality. It has nothing to do with the facts. So it's, not, it's simply not an empirical fact. It's not based on anything. No, that's, that's quite true. And of course, the funny thing is, if you, I, I cross the border 
between Canada and the United States quite a bit because uh, along with my job in Free Domain Radio, I smuggle a good deal of cigarettes. But, um, okay, not really. That, that makes me sound a whole lot more swashbuckling. Oh, God, there's another sibilant uh, than I actually am. But uh, uh, that's an excellent point. When you, when you walk over the border, right, so there's this line. There's this line on the ground. And I remember when I was a kid in Africa, uh, I, I was taken to the equator. And so I went and stood on the equator. And they said, if you face north, it's north. If you face south, it's south. And when then we would drive across particular borders, uh, you, you don't change, right? So you, you stand on one side of the Canadian-U.S. border, you step over to the other side, and your physical nature hasn't changed whatsoever, right? So it's, it's a purely arbitrary thing. I think Francois's point about uh, it's a gang of thugs, absolutely. A nation is a, uh, uh, is, uh, has the same relationship uh, the citizens have the same relationship to a ruler that livestock does to a farmer, right? I mean, you just sort of you're kept around and educated and and uh, trained how to become economically productive to whatever degree, so that you can produce taxation for the rulers. I mean, I think that's fairly clear. I think that the good phrase is territory. The territory usually has three uh, meanings that that you can use in a political context. The first is that it's a geographical locale. It's a territory. The Northwest Territories is one of the um, provinces in Canada. The second is that a territory is often used by, um, uh, by, by in biological circles to indicate a predator's range of preying. So lion, a lions have a certain territory and, and dogs have a kind of territory and it's where they claim their victims to be. And a, um, a third, of course, is that a territory is something that is used uh, to indicate a certain violent gang's urban area of, of predation, right? So it's like, that's, that's the, this gang's territory, this is the Blood's territory, the Crips' territory, the Hell's Angels' territory. And so that really is, um, it, it's a, it's a, um, a nation is a geographical a, imaginary line wherein on the one side you're owned uh, and subjected to the violence of one group of ruling thugs and on the other line you're subject to a, a group of, of another ruling thugs. So nations sort of exist from that standpoint, but I don't think it's anything that you could uh, you could ever respect. Does that does that sort of clear it up for, for people who are talking on the board? Yeah, I think so. Well, if you look at this map that I that I pasted, uh, you can't see any border. Of course, you can't see islands and uh, land that is delimited by water. But even then, the nations that are claimed, for example, Japan claims more than one area. It claims other little islands or Australia. So even in those cases, the, the construct of the nation does not correspond to the empirical evidence that we see. Now, Brad has added, uh, I'm, for those who, uh, who don't have uh, microphones, uh, I'm going to uh, speak uh, again in outrageous accents uh, to, to help differentiate you. Uh, let's make Brad a deranged Scottish man drunk riding a horse. So uh, let me just clear my throat. <coughs> and get that going, just kidding. Uh, so Brad has said, there uh, aren't there plenty of things that exist, but which you cannot show in a photograph? Well, uh, sure. Uh, atoms, for instance. Uh, black holes, uh, for sure. But of course, you can infer their existence, that they do exist, right? You just can't show them in a photograph. But you can infer their existence from the actions of, that they, in, uh, that the sort of the physical things, not just in terms of belief. You can infer that things like black holes and atoms exist by looking at their effects on, um, uh, on, uh, on other matter, right? So you know that a black hole exists because there's a gravity well and an event horizon and everything sort of swirls down and, and then it vanishes, much like uh, dirty bath water down a sink, uh, down a plug. So you can at least uh, infer their existence based on their effects on matter 
independent of belief and observation, whereas saying, well, people from the South do this, and people from the North of the U.S. do this, and Canadians are like this, and Brazilians are like that, uh, well, that's culture, and uh, you could certainly say that people have that, that that's an effect of a, of a country. But I don't think that that's really the effect of any geographical location. You could say in very broad terms that people who come from colder climates might have certain adaptive strategies, but that would be more at a biological level. Uh, culture certainly does exist in its effects on people, but of course my particular view of it is that culture is just a scar tissue based on things that are told to the false self by parents to get children to feel falsely proud and thus feel unstable and, and therefore be controllable and also to be uh, falsely guilty and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I think that culture is an effect of, of a nation state, but it would be very interesting to see what effect a nation state would have or a geographical location would have in the absence of things like religion and state schools and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that, that's it for me. Uh, somebody else can, can talk now. Okay. Hey, guys. I'm uh, Justin. Um, we have to make sure that we don't uh, become the ones who have to prove something. Other people claim nations exist. So let's look at uh, one of their definitions. Like uh, Frank said, it's about uh, being in control of a certain area. And uh, Stefan also used the example of territory of animals that they claim. Well, if somebody claims something, uh, he has to practice this force, which is not a constant factor. So uh, that's one thing that's dynamic. Another thing is, well, someone can claim a certain area, but uh, lots of people can claim a certain area. So it's, be it, it, it's, uh, it's a subjective uh, definition. Uh, everybody can claim an area. So uh, it's dependent on what's in the minds of the people, suddenly. Not just of the people who are in control, either at one moment or another. So uh, let's say Iraq is attacked by the U.S., quote unquote, then the, the reality of this nation constantly changes and completely dependent on who is doing what. So uh, it's really hard to uh, attach any properties to the object Iraq. Uh, another thing is suppose someone lives deep in the desert of, of, uh, of a, of a quote-unquote country. Well, um, they might have never heard of the country. They might have never heard of the name of the country. Uh, and and their, uh, their circumstances of the, the bigger country can change uh, day to day. Um, so you could tell them, well, uh, you're living in Iraq. Well, what does that mean? They're living in a desert. So uh, to attach any properties to such a vague, subjective uh, concept is, is, re is re really weird especially in the way that politicians talk about it. Well, it's weird, I agree uh, with I you, but it's incredibly effective. Because if you can get people to believe, and, and uh, I mean, I, I just know this because I live in Canada, so we are, can perpetually have this younger sibling relationship with the United States, which is really sad and pathetic. All Canadians can talk about is how we're superior to the United States which is really sad, of course, because it just indicates that you don't feel superior, right? I mean, I, 
I don't imagine Tom Hanks rushes from party to party saying, you know, I'm a really great actor. I'm really good at acting. I have a whole bunch of Oscars. I'm a really great actor. I mean, wouldn't that look kind of ridiculous, right? If you really are good at something, you don't, you don't talk about it. You don't compare yourself to others. You don't do any of that sort of nonsense. So in Canada, we constantly have this nationalism appeal to, oh, we're better than the United States because we're peacekeepers, not warmongers, because, because we have socialized medicine and we take care of everybody and all that kind of stuff, right? And so uh, there's a lot of um, uh, belief in the virtue of the country that you, you are born into. Of course, when I was a kid in England, football, or uh, as it's known incorrectly, soccer, um, is, uh, it was the big thing too. So your neighborhood team was who you're supposed to cheer for. And of course, in public schools, uh, you know, I was taught that whichever country I, I lived in, and I lived in a bunch of different countries, um, wh whatever country you lived in was the best, right? Of course, it, it's impossible, right? I mean, it's, it's impossible I mean, for every country that's differing from each other to be the best, not just in terms of the coolest or the most funky or the richest, but the most moral. I'm sure every, every country believes that. So I agree with you that it's kind of weird to talk about it as if it exists, but once people do believe that it exists, once you create these imaginary fences, then the costs of having real fences goes way down, right? So if you're a farmer and you can convince your cows through putting them, say, through a public education system, you can convince your cows that they should stand around, never try and get away, that they should uh, um, uh, die, die uh, when you tell them to and, and uh, you know, uh, sort of wander into the slaughterhouse when you tell them to, then you need to invest a lot less in things like electrified fences and uh, going around and so on. So it's economically advantageous to turn the human mind into a prison so that you don't actually have to have uh, that many real prisons uh, in the world. And that works for a short amount of time until people start to really rebel and then you have to have a lot more real prisons and then it all collapses and you get to start again maybe with a little bit more freedom. So I agree that it's weird to talk about it, but again, our enemies really understand the argument for morality a lot better than we do because they do talk about it continually, the virtue of the country, and that makes people into willing and happy slaves. Does that, that make sense? Uh, I would like to add something to this. Say that not necessarily all the limitations of territory are irrational. For example, in a corporation that deserves a certain area of land, uh, there will be divisions made in order to say, well, we're going to have uh, these salesmen, you know, serving this zone and this other zone and, and this other zone. So you're going to have divisions of territory, but it's acknowledged that there are conventions. There are conventions used with that uh, company for the sake of uh, usefulness. And I think that the same is true in um, property. We, we don't see the limitations of people's property, but uh, we acknowledge them as uh, a convention regarding what you own and what the other person owns. The, the problem is that the nation is not supposed to be a convention. It's supposed to be a factual. It's supposed to guide our, our, our political decisions. It's part of who we are. Right, I mean, that's quite true. Uh, innate in the concept of both your physical body and the property rights that you possess by nature of being a human being, that is uh, territory already, right? So, I mean, my, my obvious territory, first and foremost, is my own body. So, if, uh, if the debate turns ugly uh, and somebody tries to knife me, well, they're kind of violating my, my primary uh, territory, which is my own body. Next uh, weekend, I get to work with my neighbor. We're going to put a fence up 
because you know we have a new house and they have a bunch of kids and of course you know Christina wants to start the nudist therapy sessions so there's a lot of reason for us to put in the uh, the fence mostly because I might participate um, and mostly in well I'll just be wearing scuba gear because that's sort of my thing but um, so we we do have territory and we do have a property and uh, so that all makes sense the problem is that when you have property rights associated with a collective then it's just exploitive right because uh, they say that the money is being taken by the state, but that's not true, right? The money is being taken by uh, specific people who are exercising property rights. And so they can, you know, whatever you say is for the public good is nonsense, right? It just turns it's for some individual's good. So the idea that some sort of collective entity has property rights that's separate from the individuals, unless you make it some sort of contract between you, uh, it, it's nothing that makes any sense from a legal standpoint to have concepts that have legal rights and so on, which I've already talked about. In the um, uh, in the podcast on corporations, so I think scuba fetish. Oh yeah, baby, um, we can uh, we can talk about that another time. Um, now Stacy Curl has said nothing's wrong with plain old labels for aggregations, areas of land jurisdiction, etc. As long as we don't pretend these have a will or need defending, etc. Well, no, that, that's absolutely right. One of the great challenges of the human mind given that we are so scintillatingly rational, is that uh, we uh, have this problem where we mistake the world for ourselves. Right? This is very, it's called anthropomorphizing uh, in, in some circles. What it basically means is that because, because we can think, we think that the world can think, right? so we create God. Because uh, we have property, we imagine that uh, property exists uh, in a, as a transferable concept to other kinds of, of, of entities. And this is a, uh, a, fairly, a fairly big problem, this kind of projection of our own innate nature into the world as a whole. And so we, we create these concepts and then we start to anthropomorphize them. Anthropomorphize? We start to imbue them with human characteristics. So we think that the state is virtuous or our country is the best. And that's like saying that the number two my number two is more blue than your number two, right? It doesn't make any sense. Or that uh, my color green is more rational than your color green, or is a better is more moral. It doesn't really. Uh, my my toe is more moral than your toe. None of these things make any sense. But because we are so um, inflicted, we we have so many of these false concepts and false arguments from morality inflicted on us. We end up with all of this nonsense where we ascribe all of these human characteristics to concepts like God or nation or state or race or whatever. And uh, it's, it's, it's a real mess, this, 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 this ability we have to extrapolate concepts from instances and then apply them to way too wide a concept also has problems in the psychological world, right? So for instance, um, if I had not been fairly rigorous in figuring out my own childhood, then I may have taken some of the characteristics that my mom had and erroneously and unjustly applied them to, uh, to all women, which is, uh, you know, would be completely unjust and uh, would be a problem. It's just something that we seem to do uh, quite a bit. So uh, somebody has said, all the clones had free will. I'm not sure that I'm going to try and pick that, um, uh, that uh, uh, thread up. So I'm going to pass it over to uh, any other topic that anybody else wants to talk to at the moment. You don't want to talk about determinism? Yes, absolutely. Neil. Do you know, yes. I just knew you were going to say that. Appreciate <laughs> I'm perfectly keen to uh, go question, ahead. Uh, okay, uh, you've said a, a couple of times that you experience free will, and um, 
I'd like to get some clarification on that. What do you mean? Are you talking to me or Steph? Steph? Uh, sure. When I say that I experience free will, uh, what I mean by that is, is I ask Christina. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just uh, uh, say that. Um, uh, <laughs> so should I have Christina? Christina, how do I experience free will? Um, when I say that I experience free will, what I mean is that uh, I perceive that I have a, a number of choices, and each one of those choices have a mixture of long-term and short-term benefits. Sometimes, uh, sometime I'll choose short-term benefits. Uh, so uh, if I want to stay up late to watch a movie, I will decide to do that even though I know I'll be tired the next day because the movie's really good or something. Or maybe I'll say, okay, well, I'll pause the movie because I've really got to get to bed. So I'll, I'll, be, uh, uh, I'll be I'll deciding to, um, to figure out how I'm going to balance my long-term and short-term objectives based on a variety of things. And so I feel, I sort of experience the ability to, to think and to choose, to decide to do this, that, or the other. Uh, am I going to podcast? Am I going to go for a bike ride? Uh, am I going to go to karaoke? I mean, what is it that I'm going to do? And so I feel that uh, I'm constantly weighing the positives and negatives and varieties of, of possibilities that lay ahead of me, and that I have the capacity to choose between which one uh, within certain limits. Like I, I if you can't choose to know German instantaneously, I can't choose to fly, uh, I can't choose my own clothes in the morning because uh, Christina says that it's like I dress like I'm blind. And so uh, there are certain limits on my free will, some of which are more rational than others. But uh, within the context of my knowledge, my experience, and things that I have uh, I've worked on, right? I have, the, I have the choice to podcast because I've worked a lot on philosophy for 20 years, so I have the choice. I could podcast either way, but I have a greater return on value for podcasting because I've chosen to do things beforehand. So it's just a variety of choices that I sort of experience as I'm trying to decide what it is to do with the limited time and energies that I have, if that makes any sense. Okay, uh, try to refrain uh, using the word free will when you're explaining free will, but uh, I'll forgive you for that one. Um, so le let me uh, get back to you what, uh, what, what I've uh, heard from that. So you experience that you can consciously make decisions. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Well, I have the same experience. I also experience that I can consciously make decisions and I weigh them on certain basis, but um, um, is there something you want to add? Because uh, making choices doesn't seem very special to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing that I would add is that uh, I don't know if I'm making choices. I mean, I'm certainly, I'm no, I'm no, oppo I'm no innate opponent to the deterministic position, uh, because that would be to claim a knowledge that I don't have. So the deterministic position could be entirely correct, right? So that, that's sort of something that I wanted to sort of be clear, that I, um, uh, I, can, uh, I cannot say that the determinist position is false. I can say that I experience free will and that I act as if free will is true, as if a choice, the cho that's as if I'm actually making my choices based on, based on weighing uh, this or those uh, factors. But... I can't say that I actually have free will, and, and I can say that I experience it, but I can't claim that it's real or it exists. It could be that the determinist position is entirely true, but, uh, but we just don't know the facts, don't know the variables and so on. Everything, my whole life could be scripted before I'm born. That might be perfectly, uh, perfectly valid. But I also feel that the, um, the determinists can't 
um, actually say anything about free will either. To me, it's a big unknown at the moment. And so coming to conclusions uh, doesn't mean that uh, it's not valid sort of for either side. That's the other thing that I would say. Well, you're still leaving the, the thing that you keep bringing up uh, in the middle. Um, because my, my question would be, um, if you make a choice and you end up making a certain choice between choices, then um, the choice has got to be based on something, right? Uh, yes. Then where does the problem come from that you s all of a sudden uh, think that the choice is not based on something? Well, it's, it's based on a variety of things. The, the fact that new things continually get created, like choosing between uh, should I, like if I, if I read a piece of information that says, well, fish is, uh, fish is bad for you, or all fish are made of mercury and will kill you, well, that piece of information is going to make me less likely to eat fish. However, if I really love fish, I might choose to go out with a bang. I mean, there's a lot of different varieties of that. Having struggled with a couple of habits, like I used to be an occasional smoker and stuff like that, those kinds of issues, um, you know, it's, it's about just sort of saying, well, here are the consequences and so on. So it's, a, it's about the long-term, short-term consequences. So stuff does change over life, uh, over, over the course of your life from that standpoint, right? So if I'm 90, maybe I'll take up smoking again. Who knows? But um, uh, the, the, the issue is that uh, I don't know, and I don't genuinely don't know, why it feels different to have the ability to choose between things and to weigh in the balance and so on. Why it has, um, why that occurs to me, or why I feel like that, I can't tell you why. I certainly can't tell you where it comes from. I can't tell you how the human mind creates new things. Like you know, I sit down and write a poem, or I write a book, or I write a song, or something. I can't explain to you how something new gets generated out of the human mind that wasn't there before. It can't be there innately. Like I don't think I was born in my brain with a whole bunch of novels or a whole bunch of podcasts that were just sort of you know, sitting there like buried bombs waiting to go off. I think that having created something new out of, uh, out of something which didn't exist before is uh, this act of creation to me is a lot more to do with free will than just sort of choosing between fish and meat for dinner. Okay, to, uh, to recap, um, when you say you experience free will, it seems to me like that you don't uh, know where exactly your choice comes from in a completely uh, understood way. So you, you don't know why you choose something, but you choose something. And you, you, you just added that you create something, and you don't know where it comes from. Correct? That's not true at all, Niels. That's not true at all. I, I, I agree that I have free will, but I, I can be very well aware of where my choices come from. Yeah, I mean, there, there is an X factor. Like some, sometimes, I mean, this is a, I will actually change a decision based on, like I have a really powerful dream. Like years ago, I mean, this is, I'll just make, keep this brief, but years ago, Christina and I were going to go and visit my mom, and Christina, uh, sorry, my dad, and Christina had a dream which caused us to not do that, right? So there was a, her unconscious was processing something and gave us a dream which prevented us or, or gave us a significant factor, which when we reviewed it, uh, we decided to, um, to not go and visit my dad. If we'd chosen not to review it, or if we'd come up with a different interpretation, or if Christina hadn't had the dream, then we would have chosen something different. So I'm, I'm agreeing with you that we have stimuli that gives us information, right? So if everyone said smoking was really good for you, then the people who liked smoking would just keep smoking, right? 
but um, uh, it is the balancing of long-term and short-term stimuli that, uh, to me, is, is important in, in terms of understanding free will. And also, this uh, creation of things that don't exist uh, previously, to me, also says uh, something like that as well. If, if you guys, uh, if you don't mind, you guys, if I interrupt you for a second, I'd like to explain a couple of things related to this issue. You may shed some light on this. Well, the, uh, the first issue is the issue of consciousness. We are not conscious of every single process that goes in our brain, correct? We are in a position similar to that of a president of a country. The president of a country gets only extremely high-level information. But within the brain, we have dozens and dozens of different modules which process information every second and who pr which process all kinds of information and, and participate in the, uh, the elaboration of a choice or weighing decisions uh, through our instincts and preferences and all that sort of thing. So from an evolutionary standpoint, it's advantageous for us to be conscious of only a small part of these processes to have a higher level result and, and to make a decision based on that and let our brain uh, process the great majority of the information that passes uh, through our senses and are analyzed by the mind. So when Neil says you're not conscious of what causes your choice, uh, he's correct in terms of consciousness. In terms of consciousness, we are now aware of all the factors that enter into our uh, preferences because they are hidden from us. But that doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge them. And if I think about the choices that I make, I can look and, and say, oh, well, it's probably due to this and that. And when I was younger, I, I thought this and I knew this person. I have this or that taste or genetic predisposition, etc. So this is not a problem at all for me to acknowledge that, that determinism is absolutely correct. But at the same time, it, it remains that I am the active agent in the uh, choice. And in fact, if there were no factors, then there would be no decision. You can't have free will without determinism. It's quite impossible. Because if you have free will without determinism, then the decision cannot be mine. It cannot be part of who I am. Because that's, that's causality. That's cause and effect within my own self, within my own mind. So if there were no prior factors to my decision, then indeed it could not be a decision taken by myself. It would be completely isolated from who I am, from any uh, causes emanating from myself and from my mind, from my memories, from my preferences, etc., etc. So that's the first aspect. And the, uh, the second aspect is, is the block universe. It's a very simple way to explain free will and determinism because they both must be true. You have to understand both have to be true absolutely. Because for one thing, uh, you cannot deny determinism without using it. That's to say, if you were to present an argument against determinism, it would have to be based on causality. Uh, first of all, our perception is based on causality. Therefore, any argument whatsoever would have to be based on determinism in order to be understood and for other people to understand it. And the second aspect is any argument you present against free will must use free will. 
because you have to be able to direct your attention and to choose how to direct your attention in order to uh, do the observations and the experimentation and to present those results. So they are both quite undeniable. They are completely undeniable. Now, how can they coexist? I gave one element of answer in the evolution of the mind. The other element of answer is in the block universe. Now, as you know, uh, space and time are actually uh, united. They actually form a block of existence, which we call the block universe. And the basic principle of physics is paths do not move in space-time. What does that mean? Well, it's simply an expression of determinism. It means that if you follow a certain particle throughout the, its lifetime, you will see a path within the block universe, within space-time. And that path does not move. It simply does not move because uh, uh, the block universe contains time. So what you would see is you would have a path that would show you how that particle um, changed the position in, in, in nature during its lifetime. So in the block universe, determinism is simply the ways in which every path changes uh, throughout its lifetime, the different ways that paths change in space-time. And free will is free will is a specific way that paths change. For example, I'm able to go on the internet right now. This is uh, surely the result of volition, because there is no instinct okay, that uh, tells us how to get on the internet. That's quite impossible, because there was no internet uh, millions of years ago. The internet is quite recent. You can't possibly have evolved this capacity. So it has to be that somehow we have learned. Yes? Um, uh, you're using uh, a definition of free will that I don't like. Well, I, I think we all agree on the definition. It's the capacity. I don't agree. It's the, cap it's the capacity to direct your attention. It's the capacity of yourself as an individual to be part of the causal chains that lead to, to choice. Okay, hang on. Uh, what uh, I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do with Stefan is uh, Stefan says I experience free will, <clears throat> although he yeah, cannot. Yeah, we uh, all experience be, it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Although he uh, he doesn't really want to define it. So what I want to do is I want to keep ask, asking questions until we uh, find what it is. Because if we cannot find what it is, or if we cannot, uh, if it uh, remains in the area of we don't know, then He already then said it what it was. Exist. It's the capacity to choose. Well, now you come in and you say it has to do with focusing attention and with volition. But now you yeah. have to show uh, what, um, how fo focusing attention is not a, uh, a choice-making process that is uh, not supported by any other deterministic facts. And if you don't no, know, then that doesn't explain anything. I, I already explained to you how you cannot have free will without deterministic processes. You no, you did not. You, yes, I did. Yes, you I did. You say free will is focusing attention. 
Yeah. Focusing yeah. attention is focusing attention. It's uh, a function of the mind, which uh, can be explained by a choice-making process. Yet another one. All I'm saying is you cannot have free will without deterministic processes. Because if you don't have deterministic processes, then the choices and the focusing don't come from you. They just come from thin air. They come from somewhere else. They are not... They are not they are not the result of your, your mind. Focusing attention is not the result of our mind? Excuse me? No, no. What I'm saying is, if you have free will without deterministic processes, then it cannot exist. Yeah, but the other because one. Free will, free will implies that you are the one making a choice. You are the one deciding to focus your attention. If causality is not present, then that's quite impossible because there would be no I'm connection between you. I'm not denying causality, you. Frank. I'm in the deterministic camp. So tell no. me uh, what is I'm special about focusing attention. Saying. You said there cannot be um, determinism without free will. So explain. Well, I, I didn't say that. I said, uh, I said that you can't, you can't. What? I didn't say that. You invoked free will. I I said that I'm I'm not sure what you're referring to. You, you said to you need me. to focus attention, and you cannot have uh, you cannot change someone's mind without them uh, focusing their attention. So that is what oh. you call free will. Yes, yes. If you talk to someone and try to convince them of something, such as you are right now, you cannot deny the existence of free will because if you do so you're denying that I can focus my attention on what you're saying and, and, and elaborate a, a reasoning on its basis and perhaps come to a different conclusion. I don't understand what you're saying at all. You, you are defining focusing attention as free will and then you claim, well, you cannot deny free will. Why do you need no. to define free will as focusing attention uh, apart from the causal universe that we know? No, no, it's not apart from the causal universe. What I'm saying is you're talking to me right now. You're trying to convince me of something. Well, if you did not think that I was able to focus my attention, you would not try to convince me of anything. Because there would be no way that I could direct my attention to what you're saying and elaborate a reasoning on its basis and perhaps change, uh, change my uh, way of thinking. That's all I'm saying. And this focusing attention, why would I possibly think that this is outside of causal reality? Because you are claiming I, I that it is outside, it outside of, of causal reality. Then why I do you use that. the term free will? Why do you use the term if it's a part of deterministic reality? You have to, do, do not need to make things more complicated. Every single thing is part of deterministic reality. If I follow the, what you're saying, then let's not use any other concepts. What's the point of having concepts at all? You're it's using all part of deterministic reality. The, the term free will has, a, has the word free in it, as if focusing yes. attention is completely independent of outside factors and your own state. And you will That's have to absurd. show that that is so. That, that, that's not what I understand by freedom at all. What I understand by freedom is in terms of uh, physical freedom. freedom and mental freedom. I mean, I'm free to think. I'm free to act on what I, I think. 
if, if I want to tell you something instead of another thing, I'm free to do both. I'm able to use my, my mouth. I'm able to use my brain to compose sentences. And I'm able to... to well, what are you claiming? Are you claiming that, that the things that you act are outside of causality? Because if you are not, then oh, I can step on. That's ridiculous. There isn't anything outside of causality. That's, that's, that's quite impossible. That's quite that's okay. completely unprovable. Okay, then I can go back to Stefan, I think. Go ahead. Um, okay, have fun. <laughs> uh, Steph, you said, um, you also said, mentioned focusing attention, just like Frank said. Uh, oh, no, sorry, sorry, you didn't say it. You said uh, making choices. So uh, do you have a problem with um, not knowing why you make a choice? Like you can choose between a strawberry and something else, and you pick one of the two. Does it bother you that you do not know why? And do you invoke uh, uncausality from that? Or is it maybe that you, don't, uh, that you weigh a decision based on, say, long-term, short-term feelings, emotions, happenings, and that you don't know where those factors come from, which is a step further? Yeah, I would certainly say that I don't know where all the factors come from. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> That's why, to me, the deterministic position could be absolutely correct. Because if I knew all of the factors, then maybe it would be perfectly possible to predict everything that I was going to do. But uh, I don't think that we have enough information. I certainly don't believe that we need to have, I think one of the two, two things that comes up in this realm of free will versus determinism is <coughs> either uh, the, uh, the, um, the physical universe is, is causal, uh, everything causes something else, and therefore free will is, is an illusion, which is certainly possible, could be the case. Or it is that uh, the free will is like a ghost in the machine. It's not causal, it's supernatural, it comes from some magical realm outside of reality. I don't think that uh, those, are, those are the two uh, possibilities. Those are the only two possibilities. Uh, I think that there's a third possibility. Uh, I, I, since I can't explain it, right? Which is that there's some property of matter or some property of matter in its configuration within the human mind that has the capacity for spontaneous creation and choice um, which I can't explain and don't know, and you know, but I mean, it seems that's a possibility that it is both physical and non-causal, and that the human mind is the only thing that's really capable of that. That's a possibility, uh, but uh, I certainly uh, do accept that if I knew all the variables, uh, it might be that free will is an illusion. But I certainly don't know all the variables that go into why it is that I make a decision, because for me, the final variable is what do I choose to do, and that's going to be based on a number of, of things. Okay, you mentioned the term spontaneous creation and choice. Let's focus on the last one first. You said that you don't know where uh, you, sometimes you don't know where you base a choice on, and sometimes you know where the factors come from that you use in the weighing. But uh, w what is the problem in not knowing something? And do you agree that the deterministic position, or is a, a, de a default position in this matter because you're simply saying that I don't know something. Absolutely, but my problem is that the determinists claim to know, know something which they don't know either and can't prove. The deterministic position is that the universe is causal and, and, and also with the scientific method we understand that there are things that we don't know. That's a scientific position. So theory is always, well, this is how we think it works. 
Un and uh, it, it's valid until proven invalid, but it's always up in the air. Now, we don't invoke a, a semi-explanation like on causality in things that we do not understand how they uh, c come about. For instance, if the sun would explode out of nothing, we don't say it's free will. We just say we don't know. We don't say that we uh, understand it, how it works, because we don't. Although, but we do have the principle of causality. So that's the, the, the most fundamental understanding of, of everything. Uh, so we do, we, we do ex uh, keep on hanging on to causality. And, and determinism is simply the, the uh, causality in time. That's the only thing it says. Nothing more, nothing less. Sorry, that was causality in mind, you said? In time. Causality in time. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, if you have causality and you have matter, then that, that means that things are, uh, are going to happen in a set way, in the way that the matter is going to affect on each other and cause uh, reactions. That's, they, they, they are uh, in inclusive. They mean the same thing. I see. <clears throat> now, but wouldn't you say, though, and I, I agree with you, I mean, uh, that uh, causality is a pretty strong argument, but the problem is that we also have to work empirically, right? You don't just sort of take a principle and say, well, that principle applies to all matter, uh, no matter what, right? Uh, the, the problem is that the human mind seems to be a pretty unique configuration of matter and energy within the universe, right? So if you look at all the universe, it's all inert, and we don't know of any other consciousness that exists. We certainly don't know of any other rational consciousness that exists. And so I agree with you, that, but, but we also have to work empirically, right? So I agree with you about causality, I agree with you about the scientific method, but the scientific method also says that principles bow to what is, right? Principles bow to what exists. And the problem is that every human being perceives that they, exper that they experience free will to, to whatever degree. You, you would also say that you don't know all the causality for your own choices. We also have religion, which is all around persuasion. We have morality which is all about persuasion. We have the drive to live, which is all about persuasion. I mean, in, in, the human, in, in the human sense. So we have advertising, which is all about how to change people's minds. We have lots of people, myself included, trying to inject their ideas into the bloodstream of society, hoping to change people's minds to improve things. So the unfortunate thing with the argument from causality is that it's not empirical. It's taking a, a physical principle that's derived from inert matter, and it's trying to fit that round box into the square hole, which is people experience free will. A huge portion of society is devoted to adjusting people's perceptions and ideas. And you then would have to prove that that is all completely incorrect uh, and, you'd ha and, and false. And, and you know, that, that any sort of drive or desire to change someone else's mind, uh, assuming that you, know, you, you, uh, you believe in determinism, it, it, whatever you do is what, what is inevitably going to happen, right? So the problem is that it's just not empirical, and I, therefore I don't think scientific to say that, uh, there, that uh, the, the laws that apply to all uh, matter also apply to this very unique square foot of matter called the human mind, which is enormously uh, different from any other configuration of matter that we see, if that sort of makes any sense. No, sorry, Stefan. Uh, I, I really have to object uh, to, to this. 
Um, you're saying persuasion, advertising, changing someone's mind is uh, empirical evidence against determinism, which is which is nothing other than causality. And I uh, I, I I can't accept it. Um, the scientific method assumes uh, causality as a basic principle, but other so there there is, you have to understand there's a problem with proving a randomness. There's a real problem with it. Because at, at some level you are just going to not know why something happens. So for instance, something may, might seem random like uh, quantum uh, mechanics. So uh, if you shoot two particles together, they might shoot 70% of the time, uh, have that time and the, um, to disappear, and 30% time uh, in the other cases. But that, that just simply means that you don't know why it happens. You cannot say, well, this is a random effect, or this is an effect that's purely based on, on statistics, because that's only a higher level explanation, which is not actually an explanation. It's simply an observation. So if we go back to um, persuasion, uh, I really disagree. I use causality in communication, but also I am constantly looking for things that are already inside the mind of a person in trying to make them uh, focus their attention, in trying to make them uh, change their mind. I'm constantly looking at things that are already in their minds, like uh, conceptual understanding, understanding of causality, uh, values, principles, tastes. Sorry, I, I just want to interrupt that for a sec, because I fully understand that. I mean, I'm a salesman. I know exactly how you're supposed to, or not exactly, I know fairly well how it is that you're supposed to try and uh, prove value to someone based on their existing ideas, but I'm not sure how the fact that every human being from pretty much the age of two onwards, or even one, you could say, is involved in negotiating and trying to get other people to change their minds for a variety of reasons. However well or badly they do it, it is a constant human activity and it's not proof of, of course, but it's evidence for the belief. At least the wide people believe that they can change each other's minds, just as you're trying to change my mind, and that must have something to do with a desire to change someone's mind. Now, if it's inevitable that someone's mind is going to be what it is or what it isn't in, in this regard, then people wouldn't have a desire, right? If people are rational, they wouldn't have a desire to change other people's minds because no, no, it would be futile, right? It would be like me trying to talk a, uh, a volcano into being a zebra, right? Because it's all fixed from the beginning. So um, I'm not sure that uh, we can say that um, the evidence that people are constantly trying to change other people's minds is not, it's not valid in a scientific method. It's something that exists in reality, is measurable and recordable, right? No, no, there, there's a misunderstanding that you make. Um, if I am trying to change someone's mind, I do not know what, what the future is going to bring. But um, I know that I can change someone's mind if I can act on their current ideas they have in their mind. Uh, the, 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 uh, you can take the same principle to innate matter. matter. It's no different. If I kick a rock, then I know because of causality that it will go a certain way. I am not going to say, well, it's going to be at some point anyway, so my actions are irrelevant. Okay. 
Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still not sure how, given that the vast majority of human beings are involved in trying to change other people's minds and, and negotiate back and forth, are acting on the assumption that free will is a possibility. It's not it's not it's neither random nor causal that would sort of be my my answer to it i mean it has a certain logic of its own uh, otherwise advertisers would just say random words and show random images but they don't they do a lot of research in the way that you do to figure out what is going to be most motivating to people and it always seems to come down to somebody in a bikini um sadly never me uh, otherwise i'd have a different career but um people do continually engage in the process of trying to change other people's minds and that's something I think that the scientific method does need to take into account and I think it is evidence for the possibility of something like free will which is neither random nor supernatural nor uh, something which can be explained as yet by purely causal factors but which we don't have an answer to at the moment. Explain to me why changing someone's mind is evidence against uh, determinism. I do not understand the problem. Uh, changing someone's mind involves a couple of things, like, for instance, fo uh, focusing attention. Um, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, it and um, yeah, pl please explain to me. So, so basically, it comes down to you do not accept. Uh, you are not in. You have the need for an explanation in terms of free will, uh, even though I, I don't like to use the term because I have not yet found someone who explain, can explain it to me, proving that it's something different than I don't know. So, um, so it seems your problem is your experience goes and uh, needs you to believe that there is something extra. Well, let me, let me ask you some questions then. Um, do you want, would you prefer that I change my mind about free will and uh, swing towards the deterministic camp. Is that, I would assume that, that we can empirically say that that is your preference because you're involved in, in yeah. spending energy to attempt to alter my way of thinking. Yes. Okay, so you have a desire to cause me to change my mind and you're bringing evidence and logic and you're doing a great job, please, and I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that because of course if I am wrong, that's the last thing I want to be is wrong or if there is a solution that I don't know about, that would be great. So you have a desire to get me to uh, alter uh, my thinking. Now that desire is, if determinism is true, then that desire is irrational. Would that be correct to say? Because whether I change my mind or not is inevitable. And if we have a preference for something which is uh, predetermined, then that is irrational. Like if I have a preference to live forever, but it's predetermined, but it's a biological, that it's a biological entity, I'm going to die then it's irrational for me to have a preference for something which is predetermined. Uh, I don't know what, um, what your state of mind is going to be, so explain to me <clears throat> how my desire is irrational. Well, because the outcome is predetermined. Is it predetermined outside of my actions? Well, sure, that's causality, right? That's determinism as far as I understand it. You understand wrong. But your it's actions are determined just as, I mean, your actions are determined ahead of time as, as, as well, right? Yes. So your actions are determined, my responses are determined, the whole thing has been scripted since the Big Bang, right? So having a desire to bring about an effect, in so, to bring about a different effect in something which is predetermined would be irrational, wouldn't it? Like, it, it, it would be like me throwing myself off a cliff and then expecting to fly. Like it's predetermined I'm going to fall. Um... 
No, Stefan, you're, you're making a basic mistake because you assume that the state of things as they are at that moment will continue to persist. You don't, you don't uh, uh, know whether the determined outcome is different or not. You're just assuming that it has to be the same, and then you say, well, that's the deterministic outcome. It should stay this way, but you don't know that. Well, but whether I know it or not, whether I know whether I'm going to drop myself, whether, whether I know whether I'm going to fall if I throw myself off a cliff or not, doesn't matter. It is still predetermined, right? If there's no possibility of free will, if everything is predetermined, then the outcome of all the conversations about free will are predetermined, right? So in which case, having a desire to change someone's mind about free will would, would be irrational, right? I'm not, I mean, it might just be blindness, but that would be logically the case, right? No, you don't know that. You, you don't know that the outcome is always uh, against your position. You're assuming that the deterministic outcome is always against your position. You don't know that. You don't know if uh, in the future you might be able to convince some people. How do you know that? Because it's predetermined. I can change it around. Stefan. So what? You don't know what the predetermination is. Yeah, but that doesn't I matter. It's still predetermined. Whether you know it or not, it's still predetermined, okay. and therefore any desire to change the outcome would be irrational. You don't know Frank, the outcome! Hang on. Frank, stop. Hang on. Step on. <laughs> if you go, uh, if you are planning on going to get uh, the groceries, you would say, in the same manner that you just argumented against us, that it would be irrational to actually get the groceries because whether you would have them eventually or not would be predetermined. Right. But you do not consider getting groceries irrational. But whether I end, if, if the causal explanation and determinism is correct, then whether I get the groceries or not is predetermined. Yes, but does that change how you act on it? Well, it sure as heck would. I mean, if, if, if I'm working on the assumption that free will and choice and all that and morality, ethics and all those kinds of things that are important to me are of value, then I'm going to act in one way or not. If everything that I do is predetermined, okay. then okay. I will change my behavior for sure. Okay, uh, it get, it, it's getting better. So if you say that causality in innate matter is not true, this would actually mean that uh, if you would get to the grocery store, you could uh, be on the moon, change into a monkey, and uh, do, a, do a hula hoop dance. Would you still go to the groceries if reality was not causal? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't quite follow that at all. Because through causality, we can actually get the stuff. But if reality is not causal, then we reality doesn't even exist. We cannot do anything. It, uh, we, we don't even exist as a being uh, through time. Every, uh, um, it, there, yeah. Uh, to get the groceries means to get uh, go on the street, drive your car, put up the stuff in it, and, and get home. All of these things are causal facts. But if you do not accept causality, then you would not get in your car because there would be no um, no guarantee whatsoever that there would be a road that driving makes any sense, that uh, that time exists, etc., etc. Uh, sure, but I'm not sure that I have denied causality. I'm just uh, saying that we don't have an answer around free will versus determinism. 
I'm not one to say that free will is absolutely true. I experience it. It's how I live my life. I have no idea whether it's absolutely true or not. So I don't deny causality. I mean, the, the, the choices are not pure determinism or complete randomness, right? The choice is not between pure determinism and a ghost in the machine that comes from some other supernatural realm. That is uh, not, uh, that, that's not uh, the choice for me, right? Uh, and so I don't deny causality at all, uh, of course. I mean, uh, I try to, try to be rational, and I, I'm sure that you would understand that since I put uh, podcasts, I record them, I transcribe them, I put them on the net, that I don't expect people to receive my podcasts unless I perform certain actions. So I think it's silly to say that I wouldn't accept causality at all. But uh, certainly, if everything was fated, then my desires for anything to be different, the fact that the state exists, the fact that I, people have ethical responsibilities, uh, all of that would simply, if we were all just running through a pre-scripted play, then ethics would mean nothing, uh, choice would mean nothing, uh, nobody would ever be uh, better or worse or innocent or guilty or anything like that. Uh, there would never be such a thing as prisons that would be just, you would never be able to get angry at a pedophile, you would never be able to act in self-defense, you would never be able to do any, I mean you could, but I mean it wouldn't make any difference because everything is pre-scripted. And so that's not, I mean just at a purely aesthetic level, that's not what I experience in my life, that's not the purpose behind my podcast, which is to try and change people's minds by appealing to a variety of, of situations and hoping that they will sit there and think about stuff the same way that if you publish that cigarettes are bad for you, you hope that some people are going to stop smoking, but you're not going to be able to guarantee that everyone, of course, is going to stop smoking. But uh, the idea is that uh, if, if things are pre completely prescripted, even if I don't know what they're going to be, whatever they are going to be is, is prescripted, and I have no choice, no choice in the matter, or any choice that I do have is completely illusory. Stefan, you're just making the exact same assumption again that you can't if determinism is true you can't change anything how do you know that that's what the, the you don't know what the prescripted -pre play is how do you know that you can't change anything well Francois the very definition of something that's prescripted is you can't damn well change it no how do you know that your part in the play is to not be able to do anything that's what you assume you don't know what the play is how could you know but whether I know or not is completely okay, irrelevant. It is still prescripted. Okay. You don't uh, know what the script is. How can you assume that you're going to be completely powerless? You could become president if of the United script, States. If it's a script, I'm powerless well, you know. by definition. Nobody in the deterministic camp likes this. If it's prescripted oh, by definition, no, no, I am powerless no, to change it. That is the nature of determinism. No, that is no. the nature of physical causality. Whether I know it no, or no, not, it doesn't on, matter. It's going to happen. No. It's not going to happen. Stefan, it's all prescripted. I have no responsibility in the matter. That's just a natural fact of determinism. Stefan, Stefan. Stefan, you said you said if everything was prescripted, then you wouldn't be doing the podcast. Why not? Why? What makes you believe that because there the, there there is determinism that your podcast wouldn't reach other people? What? what um, how no, do you know I, that it's not I always, part of the determinism? I always dislike about arguing with free will, which is that people say, well, we still have a choice. Well, we don't know the factors, and therefore you should act as if you have a choice. Well, the fact of the matter is that if everything is predetermined, if everything is causal, if free will does not exist, then whatever I do is, is prescripted. I have, I have no choice in the matter. I have no moral responsibility, no intellectual requirement for integrity, no need to put out no, effort to make the world better, because the world is going to be what it is. And the, the government rose, slavery came, slavery left, affirmative action came, uh, the national Stefan. debt goes up, the welfare state comes in, maybe the welfare state will go Stefan. out. But there's nothing that I could, 
can do to Stick change plan. any of that Stick because plan. it's all prescriptive. No, 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 no. No, Neil. Stefan, if moral responsibility cannot exist in determinism, how can, you res how can you be responsible for your own actions if they're not your decisions? Okay, uh, uh, what Frank is no, trying I to get at... No, I wanted to answer this. He yeah, said there's I've no the moral responsibility. I have the same question, but I want to do it more tactfully. Um, Stefan, uh, I truly understand your, uh, your feelings, because it seems like um, that, um, that if someone does something, that you could fully blame someone on that action because their choices uh, seem very uh, to come out of nothing and they are uh, they make a choice and they are their choices are not determined and in that way they can make a good or an evil choice that feels very fair I understand this feeling we have to make sure that we agree and that we acknowledge those feelings as true uh, everybody has those feelings but the problem, uh, uh, the, the, the thing that Frank just mentioned, and uh, it's a thing that I, we came to realize uh, the first time we were talking about determinism, uh, when you first started your podcast about it, is that if uh, something like uncausality is true in the human mind, that the, the level of uh, moral responsibility doesn't actually not go up but it goes down counterintuitively because if uh, if uh, if I make a choice, if I act on something, then it is uh, uh, mirroring my state of mind. If I make a choice eventually to murder someone, then it would be on the basis of my mind if it's de determined. So in that, that case, you can say, well, why can we blame somebody? Why can we make somebody responsible? Because it is the, the action is related to the person. However, if actions cannot be related to the person, then you cannot uh, blame them or give them any responsibility because the outcome of their choices are outside of them as a person. Okay, I, 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 sort, of, I sort of understand what you're talking about, but... Again, I'm not saying that, that free will is something that exists outside of the human mind or in some other... But if, if I haul off tomorrow and just go, I don't know, club some homeless guy to death, is it the deterministic position that that was inevitable uh, since the dawn of time? Yes, but you have to understand that if you club somebody to death and it's uh, based on something that is not um, uh, a projection of you as a person then we cannot uh, take you as the responsible person because the choice comes from uh, quote-unquote external from you or um, well the, the, the idea of responsibility is very interesting but uh, it's very clear that <clears throat> we, uh, the, the person we can lay the most responsibility on is the person that didn't act and why? because that person uh, makes uh, an action that is reflected from his mind. Do you have something to add, Frank, in a, in a soft voice? I'm sorry, can, uh, did you just repeat, uh, repeat no, that sorry, last comment? It's just my pen that fell down. Sorry, can you repeat? 
Oh, I just wanted to uh, repeat that. Last, if you could repeat that last uh, that last comment. Be your friend. Uh, no, it was just the last comment. I, I did get the argument before that, uh, but again, you, I think you're putting a false dichotomy into what it is that I'm saying because I, I'm not saying that free will exists outside of an individual. That's not part of their personality. It's not part of their physical makeup. And I'm certainly not saying that I can explain uh, how it occurs. But I am saying that if somebody, if I go off and club a homeless guy tomorrow and kill him, if that is predetermined since the dawn of time, then anybody who gets angry at me about that or thinks that, that that's a bad thing is being completely irrational. That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. It still comes from you. <laughs> as long as determinism is there, we can still say that it's your decision. You're responsible for it. If, if you yes. deny determinism, then there's no reason to put responsibility on you whatsoever because it's not your choice. So it's yeah. so been prescripted since the dawn of time that I'm going to go kill a homeless guy tomorrow, but it's my responsibility. Of course, it comes from who you are. It's, it's, it's caused by your own mind. You decided to do it. Yes, so you've really critically got to look at does um, free will, quote-unquote, make responsibility, morality, all these things uh, more true or less true, if you really look at them. And Frank and I have, have made, come to the conclusion that it actually almost negates it. So, yes, our definitions of morality and... Uh, and, and right and wrong and responsibility includes determinism. We do not c get into a problem of, of this if we say the human mind is determined. Well, so you, if you say that I have decided to go club the homeless guy, isn't that the opposite? Just help me to understand this because I'm, I'm really baffled. If you say that I'm responsible for it because I've decided to go club the homeless guy, which would be my position, isn't that sort of the opposite? Because if it's determined since the dawn of time, then I did not decide to do it. It simply occurred as a natural result of causality. It is a result You were part of the causal chain that led to the decision. You're a mind. You can't, you can't put yourself outside of it. Yeah, but that's still not answering the question. If it is determined that I'm going to go club the homeless guy, then I can't be responsible for it. Why? I, I, I am answering the question. You are part of the causal chain that led to the decision. You can't escape that responsibility by invoking exterior factors. If you had nothing to do with it, that would be something else. But you are part of that causal chain. You decided to... Uh, interpret or, or, or assimilate these and that elements and, and, and you took a wrong decision. I mean, it, it comes from who you are. You are responsible. You should be put to jail or etc. Whatever punishment. So, uh, what this changes in a free market society, Stefan, which is it's very interesting because usually... I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to interrupt you because, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you and I don't mean to be rude, but I just, I'm still not getting this basic idea because you're saying that I'm deciding to do it, but it's pre, like to kill the homeless guy or whatever. I'm deciding to do it and therefore I'm responsible for it, but it's also completely determined since the dawn of time and there's no possibility of me doing otherwise. I just can't reconcile those two positions. Yes, well, exactly, because it comes time. from you. Listen, it comes from you. If there was a possibility of you doing more than one thing, then, then it, it, it wouldn't be a decision coming from you as a person, because as a person, you, you can only, 
there's only one decision that is optimal for your personality, for who you are, corresponding to all the experiences and preferences that you have. Well, let me ask. How can it okay, be but let me ask you this How then: If I throw a rock off a cliff, uh, is it does it decide to fall or not? No. Okay, so if we're talking about causality, you can't talk about decisions. Yes, you can. <clears throat> what are you talking about? You, you, you're a volitional being, but a rock isn't. But if everything is causal, then I have no more free will than the rock does. It's just matter operating on matter, right? A, a choice-making process is a property, just like uh, consciousness is a property of a mechanism. So um, a train station can make a choice, and humans can make a choice. But it's a conceptual layer added to causality. But uh, reconciling, uh, the main problem you have when reconciling uh, determinism, uh, making choices, responsibility, morality, etc., um, maybe you should not try to do that right now. But uh, what we can talk about is in a free market society, uh, no, first, uh, what's the cultural thinking right now? We, what, what happens is people do something and we punish them, like killing them or putting them in jail. Well, this system is not um, based around prevention or actually doing something about it. What we do is, well, we, we say he, that person is, is, is to blame and we punish them. But in a free market society, uh, punishing people is irrational. What you want to do is you want to create a, uh, a better future for everyone. And a way to do that is not by killing someone or, or punishing someone. You want to make them pay uh, a fine, for instance, because you can blame, uh, you can put the responsibility on them. And But uh, all this means is that uh, that you want to shape society in a certain way that people make better choices. Well, I certainly agree with choices that. Choices are determined. Yeah, I certainly agree with that, of course. I mean, incentives and disincentives are fund fundamental to, I think, any productive society. But I'm still uh, right back at the basic level here, and I'm sure we're not going to get anywhere because, unfortunately, we're at the stage now where I keep coming up with objections and you guys keep telling me that I'm just not getting it, and then you go on to another topic. But, Niels, you've got to understand that from this side of the fence, right, I mean, whether you agree with it or not, you should at least understand this perception. If you say to me that, the, um, that society should do this or should do that or should change to this better way of doing things, that I'm having trouble following it because what society is going to be is entirely predetermined, right? So uh, you having a preference about where things should go is like throwing a rock off a cliff and saying, I would have a preference that it would fly up rather than fall down, it would be—it just seems kind of irrational to me. It seems that you are powerless to a certain degree. I understand your feeling. I really, really do. But how people, how how uh, I how I act in this case of how I want society to be is that I don't know how society is going to be. I have certain expectations. I have certain hopes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to change it, uh, change it according to my values and hope that it works out in a good way. That's the only thing I can do. If, if I end up doing nothing, 
then I, I know then I know that's one thing that I can surely know about the future that my actions will not change it in a positive way but if I do try to change it then I know that I have done the best that I could but your actions can't change it in any way whatsoever can it? I mean whatever your actions are, are predetermined as well whether I choose to act on it or not are determined true even though I don't know that what the consequences of that are determined yes but I once again don't know them if I end up choosing because of determinism to not do anything then I, then I am being irrational because I'm saying I want society to go this way but I decide to do nothing about it ensuring that I will have nothing to do with a possible better future. But your deciding to do nothing about it is also predetermined, right? Let me finish, let me finish. Your decision to not do anything about it is also predetermined, is that correct? And impossible to escape, to change. Yes, but I don't know that. So, if, so. if I say that, well, um, I am going to lay, lay in my bed and do nothing, then I cannot use the argument you are trying to use from determinism well I am going this was meant to be I do not know that it would be another choice in it would be an excuse in doing nothing but uh, it would be inevitable uh, it, it would be, be a false argument from determinism but it would be inevitable that I was going to lie in bed it's very simple Stefan you're really tying your pants in a knot trying to to catch us on on trying to break but you don't know what the future is, so you're accusing us of breaking something that we don't know anyway. I mean, if you had an envelope in it that said, said every single thing that we're going to do, then yes, you might have a point. But insofar as you don't, you're in the same state of ignorance as we are, and we're all trying to act in our best interest and trying to determine the best way to do so. Right, but there is no such thing so as the best way to do it. The laws of yeah, but you guys, the, the problem, I, mean, I, I want to stop the debate now because we really aren't getting anywhere. But, and and so you can have the last say if you want, but you guys keep saying that there's determinism and then you keep using concepts around free will, like try to aim for a better society, try to optimize your this, try to choose this, try to choose that. The, but the, the fact of the matter is right no, down at the bottom... It's a deterministic concept. It's a deterministic concept. You can't change things if there's no causality. <laughs> if there's no causality, there's no point in trying to change anything. Yeah, but I'm not saying my, my position. Is no my position is my position is not that there's no causality. I mean, that's that's not what I've been arguing for at all. But the fact of the matter is that I've never come across a well, so is mine. The, the, I've never come across a determinist who says that everything is predetermined, who's comfortable with the moral results of that, and that's the only thing that I would caution you about in terms of this this. Theory. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. Oh, okay, sorry, then Niels was not comfortable, comfortable with it, as I understand it. Because it. It, 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 it's very simple. If your decisions are not yours, if they're not caused by who you are, then there is no moral responsibility, because we can't say that you actually did anything. Sure, but in determinism... We can't say that it's caused by you in any way. But in determinism, there is no ego, right? Because you can't choose between anything anyway, so you have no moral responsibility there either. Sure, I can. You can make a choice. I do change. It's a process. I do make, I make choices right now. Sorry, so it's not predetermined. I, I, yes. So it is predetermined, okay. but you can choose. Choice is, an, yes, is a finally. conceptual observation, higher level, 
So if, if you have um, a computer which uh, outputs two things based on your input, we call that a choice, even though it is determined. That's our description of a choice. But I, w I, I want to go back to my last example to show how a determinism can be reconciled with uh, psychology and acting. Is that uh, it's the grocery example? I can think of many of them. You say causality is true. So if you build a house and all the blocks are on the ground and and and, and everything is is in its uh, pre pre house stage, then you just get to work, and you know that there's going to be a house at the end end of of the year. You're not going to sit on your on your ass and wait for the house to appear. That's not how things work. In fact, if we choose to do that, then we know that there's not going to be a house. So we just get on building. Causality, simple. And hope for the best. If I may intervene in this discussion, Stefan, are you saying that free will and determinism are incompatible? They're completely opposite. I mean, yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, of course, I mean, if, if ethics is incompatible with determinism, uh, free will is incompatible with determinism, personal responsibility is incompatible with determinism. That's nonsense. No, it's not nonsense, Francois. You guys just, you guys, you're no. not dealing with the fundamental issues. All you're doing is saying, oh, Steph, it's not that complicated, you're just not getting it, and so on. Well, I'm not a dumb guy, and I have put some thought into these issues, and you're still not answering the fundamental questions. You can come up with, oh, well, you see, well, we don't know this, and we don't know that, and you still got to build a house, and this and that. But the fundamental fact is, if whatever is going to happen is predetermined, there is no such thing as moral responsibility. And uh, you haven't made any case, and I've, we've had two I hours on this. I explained to you twice why that's not true. I understand that, but you haven't made a good case. I explained to you clearly why that's not true. No, but you haven't made a good case. The case is if... No, Francois, I don't. I've done two hours on this. I've done two hours on this. I don't want to do any more of it, right? Because you guys just well, keep repeating the same argument. How can you not understand? Well, this? because it's a bad argument, Francois. The fact that I don't well, understand what you're saying does not mean it doesn't mean that your argument is good. If I don't agree with something that you're saying, and I keep coming up with counter arguments, and you keep repeating your argument, it doesn't mean that I'm an idiot, and it doesn't mean that I'm not getting it. It means that I disagree, and after two hours of going well, round and round in this, I don't think we're going to get any further because, to me... You, you, are not you are not explaining to us why you disagree. Sure I am. It's very, very simple. Uh, could you explain... Well, I don't really want to go over it. Exactly this would be the fifth... You can be responsible... Explain to us how you can be responsible for an action if it's not caused by you. I would just Frank. like an answer to that. I think we have to take a break from the from the discussion because uh, we've got come to a point where we have some clear uh, disagreements about certain statements. Stefan, please understand, we are absolutely not calling you an idiot. Far from it. Uh, I don't really have an idea why you would assume that you think. Oh, based on comments uh, of the chat, yes. Based on comments of the chat, Oh, well, I... I I hope uh, I didn't uh, add to that. Anyway, um, and we both have some conclusions that are completely opposite, and uh, it's not going to help anyone if we just keep repeating our conclusions. So it would be interesting, I think, if, uh, like you said, there is no morality in determinism. 
I would be interested in, uh, in maybe in you having uh, a small uh, thing in the, in the forum where you explain the position and maybe we can uh, we can go from there. And I think that would be much more useful than going on right now because it, you are you are right that to Frank and me we uh, have a, a position about that that seems clear for us. But if we cannot uh, we cannot reconcile your argument with it. So I am interested in what your argument is why morality is inconsistent with determinism. Well, I, 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 there's nothing that I can say that I haven't already said. If, if everything is predetermined, then it's like if you drop a piano on someone and they die, it's like blaming the piano for reacting to the laws of physics. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If I can bring an angle onto this, <clears throat> uh, you can't deny either fact, right? And you say you are saying that if determinism is valid, then free will is not valid and vice versa, right? They are uh, opposite concepts, right? But um, you cannot deny any and um, and actually make an argument. You have to accept them both. Both determinism and free will. I, uh, I disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't accept determinism and free will together. I mean, it's one or the other. Yeah, but they exist on different levels use the scientific method and in order to for that to be valid we have to assume determinism about uh, the laws we, we make right but in in the social level we have to assume free will it's uh, there are different levels we are using here that's why we are compatible because we are we don't lie on the same semantic level well uh, that may be the well, case but I mean well, if, we're, if, if you're talking about uh, free will sorry if you're talking about determinism at an atomic level which is my understanding of Francois and Neil's position which I understand if you're talking about determinism at a causal physical level then there can't be different levels because everything then in reality is uh, is causal and there's no possibility of uh, a responsible intervention by consciousness and so I don't see how you could divide it into different levels. Well, we use um, different theories to explain different things on different levels. For instance, uh, we don't use uh, uh, particle physics to explain the behavior of people, right? Uh, or we don't use biology to explain things about chemistry. So uh, I don't see what's the problem with uh, using both determinist and free will. And in fact, we cannot deny it. We have to assume them as valid. But if we assume that, if we take the materialistic position that everything that occurs in the universe is based on either matter or energy, and determinism claims to be the answer for all matter and energy as being causal, then it has to be a theory that explains everything because nothing exists except matter or energy. Well, do you agree that um, we can have different kinds of knowledge? For instance, we can have knowledge on biological matters on or knowledge on matters of chemistry, do you disagree with that? Maybe I don't know. Well, no, of course I wouldn't disagree with that. I've talked about those disciplines at length in my podcast, but everything comes down to matter and energy, right? So you couldn't have a theory of biology that would contradict matter and energy. You couldn't have a theory of geology that would contradict basic physical theories. You couldn't say, I have this rock which has mass but is invisible and has no 
no weight or something. I mean, you couldn't have anything like that. So the theory of physical reality down at its base, if it's causal, it subsumes all other fields of knowledge under that, and all other fields of knowledge would have to be uh, derived from, from the principles based on a, a theory of physics that was base matter and energy, which is what this is. So I don't think that you can separate different spheres of knowledge and say that some can contradict the base theory of matter and energy that determinism, I think, uh, talks about. No, I'm not saying that at all, but we can have uh, different kinds of knowledge. Uh, for instance, in order to explain human behavior, we have to have a theory of morality, right? A theory of human interaction. Uh, and, and it's on a different level. Uh, we can't... Maybe if we know everything about the universe inside and out, every single uh, state of matter, but that would be pretty impossible because we ourselves are part of this uh, reality. We can't have a, a perfect the only perfectly accurate model of reality is reality itself. We can't duplicate it without being a part of it. So we can use different different uh, theories to explain different, uh, not different things, different levels of knowledge. Well, yeah, but I mean, if, if uh, I still don't, I don't think that that uh, solves the problem because if determinism is the theory, then at the atomic level it's claiming that everything is causal and so you then can't have a theory which would contradict that. I mean, I agree with the causality, but I, I think that we don't know enough about the human mind to be able to come down on the side of either determinism or free will. There's lots of evidence for determinism, of course, in the physical nature of reality, and there's lots of evidence for free will based on personal experience and the nature of human society and interaction. So my standpoint is that we can come down um, I, I think it's premature to come down and say there's no such thing as free will or to come down and say that free will is X, Y, or Z. I think it's premature. And at that, after two and a half hours, I think I'll, I'll certainly close off the discussion. Uh, thank you so much for everyone who's uh, participated in it. No, no, I, I, I still would like you to clarify uh, just a little thing here. When you said with determinism, you cannot be moral. Are you talking? Are you talking about person specifically? Because I, I would quite take umbrage if I'm being told that I cannot be moral. Uh, well, I mean, you can be umbrage if you like, but uh, you can take umbrage if you like. But uh, my uh, position is that the theory of determinism is incompatible with with uh, morality. So, is your position that I can't be moral? Is that what you're saying right now? Well, no, it's just uh, not that you can't be moral. It's, there's, no, there's no such thing. It's, it's, like, it's like trying to apply the concept of morality to a rock. It, it's not even remotely in the realm of, of things that you would apply to something. The rock is not good or evil because its nature is not open to its own choice. Its uh, physical properties and behavior are completely determined by uh, natural forces, and so you would not apply the concept of morality to a rock, and neither would you if the uh, world is causal would so, apply that to a human being either. But m m my will is causal, so you're saying that I can't be moral. You're saying this... No, I'm, I'm simply saying that... saying that I am amoral. I'm simply saying that if the theory of determinism is true, and that everybody's behavior is determined ahead of time, then there's no possibility of... Uh, well, I mean, you can, call, you can talk about morality, but it's illogical and inappropriate. Well, it's like asking what's I the heartbeat of a cloud. It's just taking the it's a concept uh, transposition that doesn't make any sense. 
I think it's quite an insulting statement. I would rather you retract it. Well, I'm not going to retract it because it's logical. I mean, it's like asking me to retract 2 plus 2 is 4. If everything's predetermined, you can't have moral responsibility. I mean, that's just a fact. I, I, you can get mad at me if you like, but I'm not the one who's bringing up the theory of determinism here. I, I, I am mad because you are stating that with determinism you cannot have morality. Absolutely. That's like saying all Jews are evil. That's like saying all Jews are evil, and then if I'm a Jew and I come to ask you, are you saying I'm evil? No, I'm just saying that rea in reality the genetics of it is this and that. Well, I'm not going to start discussing this because I think it's another kind of... I mean, if you don't like the fact that if people don't have free will and all their behavior is determined ahead of time that they're not responsible for it, then uh, I don't really know what to say. I mean, it just to me, morality and free will are, are bound together. If people have a choice, then they're responsible for their actions if everything is determined ahead I, of I time. I not say I don't have free will. I'm yeah, but the problem and the reason why I'm cutting this debate I, off, Francois, is that everybody just keeps changing their story. You say, well, there's determinism, and then I say, well, then there's no morality, and then you say, well, there is free will. Statement. Sorry? I'm sorry? Yeah, as I told you before, I'm a, uh, I'm a compatibilist. But the, the point is, I just want you to retract your statement. Well, I mean, I'm, it's not up to me whether I retract my statement. I mean, I have to get a better argument. To me, compatibilism seems to turn out to just be wanting to have your cake and eat it too. To have determinism and yet have moral responsibility, I don't see how the two are compatible. I wouldn't describe moral responsibility to what a tree. Can you, have the, you cannot have... A tree is not volitional. It's a very bad comparison. No, it's perfectly valid comparison because everything that is in re material reality is uh, predetermined and therefore there's no such thing as volition. And so that just wouldn't make any sense, right, to, uh, to talk about uh, morality well, from that standpoint. It's a brain development. It's, it's volition is a development of the brain. Are you denying that the brains of human beings are more complex than that of badgers? Uh, well, see, when we get to this level of debate, it doesn't really interest me to continue because, I mean, obviously that's just, just, just baiting, right? I mean, that, that's not really going to be uh, doing anything productive. So, look, I mean, I certainly do appreciate everybody's uh, uh, feedback on this. It's been very interesting. I certainly think that I'm going to take a break from debating with compatibilists for a while because it does seem to go round and round in circles. And well, but I, I still want you to retract your statement. Oh, I understand that you want me to retract my statement, but I'm not going to retract my statement because that would be dishonest of me. I mean, if I can, I'm certainly if I find out that I'm incorrect uh, about this uh, this approach, then I will certainly uh, apologize and change my position. But I'm not going to retract my statement when I believe that uh, I have logical reasons for what it is that I'm saying. So uh, I'm certainly not saying anything about you. I'm simply saying something about the theory that's being put forward. Uh, I don't know much about your moral nature, so I wouldn't hazard a guess. I understand that you're very interested in morality. I hugely respect that. But uh, I mean, we're simply talking about uh, determinism here, not, not you, right? So, I mean, that's just my particular position there. So I'm not saying anything about you in particular. I, I am a determined being. I'm a material being. You are talking about me indirectly. Well, then the great thing about this, and where I'll end up here, Francois, is that the great thing about determinism is that whether or not I'm going to retract my statement has been determined since the dawn of time, so there's no need to ask for me to do it. So thanks so much it, for yeah, everyone. But you don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen right now is I'm going to end the conversation. We can talk about it another time because my dinner is ready. So thank you so much for everyone listening. I really appreciate it, and I will talk to you guys soon.